Welcome to Pace and Freedom. I am your host, James Pace, and thank you for joining me on another amazing episode. On today's episode, I had the great joy to speak with Dennis Lambert, Green Party presidential candidate. We had an exciting discussion on the need for third parties to unite together and overthrow the duopoly that reigns over us today. But before we get started, I want to make a special announcement. Right now at Just CBD, you can get Mother's Nature's Secret Miracle Ingredient CBD in a variety of products for 20% off when you use my special discount code PIF at www.justcbdstore.com. Just CBD knows the importance of making quality CBD products like delicious gummy bears, relaxing bath bombs, and even treats for man's best friend. So again, go to www.justcbdstore.com and use discount code PIF for your 20% discount. Now, without further ado, enjoy this episode. Every time I have a new subscriber to the website, I have to update it on the website and update it on the uh, the other one that we're using to ask for donations and then oh, put okay. it in my put it in the campaign email and. Yeah, yeah, a lot all, of work. All the all the exciting technical stuff that everybody gets into politics for. Right, absolutely. All right, so welcome to uh, Pace and Freedom podcast. Thank you so much for accepting my invitation. I'm very excited. It's not every day that somebody gets to say they uh, have a presidential candidate on their podcast. So no, I appreciate uh, you inviting me, James. Uh, yeah. I, in fact, uh, the last time I was out uh, doing a campaign event in Toledo, uh, a lady offered me to stay at her place. And I said, well, how much will you charge me? And she said, no, it's it's absolutely free. I just want to tell my friends I had a presidential candidate staying at my house. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. <laughs> so, being a candidate it excites me and being around people that, uh, that uh, like my message, excites them. So uh, I'm really excited. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I, that's how I am all the time. I always I'm always excited about talking to new people and uh, talking to different uh, views and people that just have a different perspective than I do because it just helps me grow. So, oh, absolutely. We learn so much from other people when we get outside of our insular shell. Absolutely, yep. It, it does no, no good to be in a, uh, a echo chamber and just listen to yourself. So, Absolutely. Uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Who is Dennis Lambert? Uh, I grew up, um, one of, uh, five kids. Uh, my parents divorced when I was five. Uh, I grew up in mostly in Appalachia, uh, West Virginia. And then we moved to Kentucky when I got into junior high and high school. So I, I've lived in Appalachia most of my life. I, I was born in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, when I was 18, I, uh, registered to vote Republican. And then two months later, I enlisted into the army. Uh, that Republican stuff didn't last, uh, as long as my military service did. Uh, but, uh, I, I served in the army from, uh, 92 to 2000 doing, uh, unit supply, armor and, uh, field medic. And before they put me out, they wanted to train me also as a diesel mechanic. So I, uh, was a boy scout. Uh, I earned my Eagle Scout. Um, uh, I was also a member of the order of the arrow, which is an honor camper organization that, Within the Boy Scouts, uh, I went to, uh, after I got out of the military, I studied journalism at Ashland Community College. Then I uh, transferred to Ohio University where I studied radio and television production. 
Uh, after graduating there, I taught uh, high school students video production as well as working on uh, computer systems for Portsmouth City Schools in southern Ohio. Then I moved up to Columbus and started working in uh, television stations. I also worked in radio for some time, uh, worked in film, and then around 2005, 2006, a lot of the uh, freelance opportunities that I had uh, dried up, so I moved back to southern Ohio, uh, started school again, and uh, finished up my bachelor's degree uh, 13 years after I got my associate's degree. Uh, but wow. when I graduated in 2010, I, I said, you know, uh, I've spent most of my life so far trying to do things for myself, but I, I, I have that uh, spirit a community. One of the reasons why I joined the military and was in, active in the Boy Scouts, so I decided uh, I wanted to help my community. Uh, I reached out to the Democrats and the Republicans, and they didn't get back to me. Uh, I campaigned for Obama in 2008. Uh, that's how far from the Republicans I went. But then, <laughs> uh, uh, like I said, graduated in 2010. I reached out to the Democrats and Republicans. Neither one of them got back to me, so I said, well, this is a democracy. So I reached out to the communists, to the constitutionalists, to the libertarians, and to the Greens and the Green Party is the only one that got back to me and said, uh, we need to uh, maintain our ballot status. So could you run for office? And I never thought of it before. And he's, uh, Logan Martinez said, uh, well, you've got uh, two weeks to gather the signatures. I said, well, how many signatures? Wow. He said, 25. Uh, never doing that before. It took me about two days to think about it. And I, I said, yeah, I, I think I can get 25 signatures. So wow. I did that. Uh, so in 2010, I ran for the Ohio State House. Uh, the Democrats challenged my uh, uh, position on the ballot. Uh, they said I didn't fill out the paperwork uh, properly, so they sent two big city lawyers down to Little Portsmouth to challenge my uh, campaign. <laughs> uh, I showed up and fought them off and uh, maintained ballot status. Uh, I got 3.2% of the vote. I spent a uh, little less than $700 of my own money. And it amounted to about thirty-eight cents a vote is what I what I got out. Uh, thirty-eight cents a dollar for every vote that I for every vote that I got. You know, it just amazes me how like for third parties how much they can do with so little. I mean, that's a that's pretty impressive mathematically if you think about it in a ratio mm -hmm. aspect. Yeah, yeah, I, that's. I mean, uh, that was one of the biggest selling points of my campaign was that I ran it so efficiently that. 38 cents a, a vote. And then when I ran in 2014 for Congress, which was uh, a huge congressional area, Ohio 6, if anybody wants to look that up, I mean, it basically runs the entire length of the state from Youngstown wow. down to where I'm at in southern Ohio. Um, and once again, I, I think I, I don't recall exactly, but I spent less than $3,000. And wow. that, uh, I think I got about 78 cents a vote. Wow, that's, that's uh, and, pretty and and, and no media coverage, no media coverage. Wow, that was, that was the crazy thing. Was it pure then social media or? Yeah, social media, and then me going out to events in my community to talk to people. Uh, so what I found mostly in running every campaign that I've ever run was that there's a lot of people out there who do not vote, and those are the people you really need to touch because that's a majority of the voters. Actually, you know. Uh, if we look at, at the voter turnout over the past uh, several decades, we see that it it has declined from 80% or so around 1900 to right now it's around 46, I think, 46% of the eligible voters come out to vote. So 
Wow. When we do have a majority vote for somebody, that majority vote winner is not actually the majority earner of votes that are eligible. Right. So I think it's imperative for third parties to get out and talk to their communities and get those people who don't vote, who are registered or, or register people to vote. Uh, in my right. state, in Ohio, former felons do have the right to vote. So it would behoove uh, you know, the Green Party, Libertarians, any other independent party in, in our state to go out and when release date happens in these jails to go out with a, uh, a application to apply for voter uh, voter registration uh, and get these people on our side because if they know they can vote and they have somebody there saying, hey, we want to help you get back into the world, here's right. the first step, get your voice back in the political system, I think we'll have some pretty dedicated uh, followers at that point. Absolutely. So you jump from being a Republican all the way to becoming a, a Green Party member, and it looks like in between you went from Democrat to possibly becoming a libertarian to possibly becoming a, a, a communist. What <laughs> what was that? Why why so much shifting back and forth? Well, uh, the reason I became a Republican was because I, I'm essentially a fiscal conservative, and I believe that ecological conservation is also a conservative issue as well. But uh, unfortunately, when uh, Newt Gingrich and the Republicans wrote that uh, deal with America uh, to balance the budget in 95-96, uh, along with passing NAFTA, which was a big screwover for the workers, uh, one of the things they did was freeze the hiring at the VA, and that was the beginning of the backlog for uh, claims for veterans. And being a veteran myself, I said, how, how can I be a Republican when Republicans are the party that are supposed to be supporting the veterans? So right. I had to back away from there. And, you know, it's sort of my like my religious experience. I, I just started studying everything and took what I could from everything that I believed and put it into one basket and... Uh, to me, uh, the Green Party seems to represent more of my ideals than uh, just about any other party because right. of the ecological uh, uh, imperative as well as, you know, democratizing money, making uh, money of not to, you know, concentrate it into the high pockets of, of wealth. It's more of more about bringing balance, you know, right. Star Wars, okay. you know, to use a Star Wars analogy, it's bringing balance to the force. Okay. So is it safe to say that when you were going through this like journey of learning from all these different parties and all these different political views, that even though you're part of the Green Party, you see a lot of good things, a little bit of good things from all these different parties and that you are able to use that to become a more successful candidate for whatever uh, position you, you run for? I, I believe so, because, uh, you know... It, it, it's basically no matter what the party says, it's a person that's running. Right. So beyond what the ideology that we espouse, I mean, the whole point of politics is compromise. And having to understand the other person's point of view is the key to understanding how to compromise. So, right. uh, and, and I think that's the reason why we don't have much of that <laughs> and so much intransigence in, in Congress right now is because they're not willing to meet with each other and look at each other's point of view. They just have that ideology of we have to maintain power or we have to push through this agenda despite what uh, whoever wants what, you know, it, 
I, you know, compromise seems to be a dirty word anymore. And, and definitely from the Republican side, I don't see them making any compromises whatsoever. So I, I kind of see like, like the two major parties, you know, they, they just, they're so dogmatic. Yeah. To their, or to whatever their philosophy is and their ideals are. And like, it seems like any of the members, uh, political members, they just, they can't step out of that dogma and be like, you know, let's see what the people actually need and run as a person instead of as a, as a party. Uh, they just kind of follow whatever the party says. Whoever, I don't know who makes those decisions in the party to believe certain things and tell them, hey, this is what you have to follow. This is the guideline. If you step out of the guideline, you're, you're out. Just kind of what happened yeah, that, with Justin Amash. You know, he. Yeah. That, I mean, the, the party is pulling the purse string. So. Uh, that they uh, they tend tend to snap in line, you know. That's it's like uh, spandex. As soon as they start pulling on those purse strings, it snaps back. And if you don't do what they tell you, then you're going to end up being primaried in the next election for somebody right. who is more ideologically with the party than the people that they're trying to represent. Right. Do you feel that with the Green Party, or do they are they pretty um, flexible with being with? I guess with you. And that you might not entirely believe in everything that the party believes in, and that you tend to maybe try to get down to the uh, voter level and try to understand and compromise with the voter. Yeah, uh, I, I do have a lot of differences with with the party leadership. Uh, I mean, some people don't like the way I'm campaigning right now by, by using memes to draw attention to my campaign, but. I tell them, you know, this is honestly the new way of campaigning. You can't always be everywhere at every time. So I plant them like seeds. I put little memes on my Twitter or on Facebook and try to get people to draw attention to my campaign. And uh, it's been fairly successful. I end up getting maybe five, ten hits every week uh, on my website. New new people subscribing or, or coming to the website for the first time. So, you know, <laughs> I, I'm just telling them, you know, I'm I'm going to be me. I don't care right. what the party says, but, you know, understand that I've got your back as long as you got mine. Uh, and, and, you know, we may not agree 100 percent on everything, but that's like I said, that's what politics is about. It's about compromise, finding the best possible answer for all parties involved. Right. And, you know, it's it's just more than just the party. You if you're going to vote, if you're going to run for a, an office, you know, you want to be able to represent the people of your area, um, you know, if say as low as a, a mayor, uh, you know, if you're going to run for mayor, you want to represent the people in the city and see what their needs are, what uh, what their beliefs are, and work the best you can to improve the community and to um, survive. Uh, yep. You know, instead yeah, bottom- of being like. Oh well, this is what my party believes in. This is what you need to believe in, regardless if you know you you didn't vote for me, and, and that's just the bottom line. Yeah, yeah. The bottom line essentially is you're supposed to represent all people, but bring your perspective of your party. Right. Uh, I mean, you can't rely on just the people from your party to elect you into office because there's just not that many people. You okay. have to be able to make uh, you know not necessarily pivot your entire situation or your opinion. But you have to be able like, to be flexible and make compromises with the, I mean, one thing I won't compromise on is my integrity. 
but as far as you know making decisions for the the populace that's that's what politics is about is is the compromise right so what uh inspired you to run for for president of the United States well uh I'm a little crazy uh, <laughs> but uh i uh when I ran in 2010, 2014, uh, and again in 2016, you know, the Democrats and Republicans were picking up my, my talking points. Uh, and I found that there was a lot of power being a third party candidate, uh, being able to influence the Democrats and the Republicans with what I was saying about what was going on in the community. And this is another reason why we have to have a third party, fourth party, fifth party perspective in all of our po- politics, because the, the the Republicans and Democrats become so insulated that they don't pay attention to what whatever uh, people who aren't their constituents are interested in. So when I like I said when I ran in 2010, I started influencing the Democrat and the Republican, and then again in 2014 I was doing that, and I said, well, no, maybe I might be able to influence the presidential election in some way and get the issues that I know are important to the people, at least of my community and the people that I talk to. And get those forefront, and hopefully we can create a national discussion around these issues. Right. Hey, everyone. I hope you're enjoying this episode. I wanted to take a moment to talk about coffee. That's right. Coffee. And not just any coffee. Anarcho coffee. The only coffee where you feel free and energized with every sip. Visit anarchocoffee.com forward slash PIF or use the link in the description to purchase a great cup of freedom-tasting coffee. And by using my link, you will be helping support my podcast. Again, Anarcho Coffee. It's organically farmed, ethically sourced, and roast to order. This means it's coffee not from a child slave labor farm covered in pesticides or stored in some dirty warehouse for six months before you get it. The day you order is the day it gets roasted, packed, and shipped. Now back to this episode. So the last presidential election, Jill Stein ran for, for president and for the Green Party. What kind of things do you think uh, she was really successful on in her campaign? Uh, and what kind of things do you think you're going to be able to do better than her in uh, being more successful than her? Not to kind of play you guys against each other or anything. It's just... Yeah. I don't know if I have the 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 connections, the financial connections, and and the personal connections that Jill does, but I I'm looking to build those up. I think that was one of the best things that she did for the party was that she got us on 46 states enough to actually win the election. But unfortunately, because the mainstream media being the way it was, it didn't actually cover her campaign. But once again, she brought out the Green New Deal in 2016. So what's the major talking point for the Democrats in 2018, now 2020, the Green New Deal. So uh, I think uh, if uh, Jill can influence them on this one issue, I can definitely uh, influence them on more issues than just the Green New Deal, which I have some problems with myself. So, but, uh, you know, we won't go into that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So we have these two major parties that pretty much rule. I don't really think there's any. A lot of times when I see them, I don't see much of a difference between the two major parties. They seem to never be able to agree on anything. And at the end, we're still in 
these major wars. We still are in a drug war, which has been unsuccessful, very violent, and um, very costly. We go into these regime changes that don't do anything. We just end up putting somebody worse into power in these countries, and they end up attacking us anyways. And, and all these other issues that the, the two major parties have just made a mess of, and they never change. They say they're going to change things, and they just basically play off of each other to stay into power. What can third parties do, and how can we like ally with each other to be able to knock either one of these parties out or, or just get in in there with them to be able to have this better balance and, and better uh, accountability? I one thing we have to work, start working on is on lower level networking, uh, you know, in, the, in your communities, in your counties, in your cities, and then in your states before we can start possibly coordinating a larger campaign for uh, third parties. I mean, we definitely uh, partner with the libertarians here in Ohio for the lawsuits that we put, pursue against the state for ballot access. At our annual national meeting in uh, Salem this year, the Green Party, uh, one of the, I was involved with the uh, a discussion where the first question is talking about growing the Green Party, and the the only question that the instructor said was, "Let's see, uh, let's have a survey and, and see if uh, the Green Party lost all ballot access. Which one of the Democrats would you be willing to support?" And immediately wow. an uproar went across the room, and nobody in that room was willing to even consider supporting any of the Democrats. So I, I paid attention to the discussion, and they were talking more about, you know, building up locally and that sort of stuff. And I later went to the uh, instructor and I said, you know, we lost a very valuable opportunity there to learn and grow. He said, what do you mean? I said, honestly, I would have loved to have just that exercise of, you know, one of the things the Green Party pushes for is ranked choice voting. And I think this is a, a, an issue that uh, libertarians can get on board with us because it, it would be benefit us all. But I said, yeah, if we had a ranked choice voting system, where we listed all the Democrats there and then let the Green Party people there in that room vote on them, we might be able to see some way that we could actually work with the Democrats on some issues. But, uh, you know, <laughs> some people are just intransigent against that. And, you know, I, I constantly push the Greens to reach out more to conservatives, to libertarians, because we have a lot of issues that are in common. You know, right. the uh, de decentralization of power, I know that is a key point for the libertarians is to Absolutely. remove power from the powerful to make sure that we all have equal footing. Right. So, you know, finding those issues and reaching out and making those connections, I think, are the key to our success as well. You know, honestly, ranked choice voting or uh, I forget what the other version of it is, but uh, either one of those two are really uh, good methods for us to get third parties more involved. And I I'm glad to see that uh, a few states are starting to experiment with it. Right. You know, I uh, I did uh, some more research on Green Party, and I was actually surprised to see that uh, there's Green Parties internationally. And, oh, yeah. And they've actually been more successful than the Green Party here in the United States. Why do you think that is? Is it just the rest of the world is more uh, eco-conscious or... I think it's partly that and partly that the mainstream media, because they're pushing the narrative that independent or third party candidates are spoilers, that uh, they don't need to cover us, you know, and they hide behind this uh, equal time nonsense that, uh, you know, actually Ronald Reagan got rid of on the FCC. So there's no such thing as an equal time law 
that you have to provide equal time for each candidate. That that doesn't exist anymore. Ronald Reagan got rid of it in the 80s. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. The, the Europeans seem a lot more eco-conscious and they're not being told by meteorologists that, uh, you know, this is not uh, climate change, this flooding and fires and massive tornadoes that we have hitting us one after another. This is just a, you know, just just a cycle of, of Earth, even though we haven't had recordings of uh, meteorological phenomenons like this for thousands of years. This is just a cycle. <laughs> and something else I also noticed about the international green parties and, you know, the libertarians are starting to kind of pick up on and starting to use it as well as this working together uh, with other parties. Uh, you know, the Green Party in Mexico, for example, will try to work with other parties to, you know, kind of ally in a way to work together to try to get things done. And it seems like here in the, in the United States, we, we just refuse. We put ourselves in these tribes and these pockets and we just don't want to talk to anybody else but what's whoever is in our tribe and i see that the libertarian party in the in the in mexico is actually starting to grow because of that because they have been working with the green party and you know saying okay what can we do together to get people to notice us and kind of create this space so that way that we can grow on top of that's something i would love to see here in the united states Absolutely. I, I, working together is the only way that we're really going to achieve any success. Uh, and uh, a lot of people don't realize this, but in some states, we are required to run a candidate for president or for any uh, statewide position to maintain ballot status. Yeah. So when Democrats or Republicans say, well, you're, you're just going to spoil the election for so-and-so, then I say, well, why did you write the rules so that we had, as third-party candidates had to have to run somebody against you? Right. That they write the rules for the elections, so we're just following their rules. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and, and there's a we, lot. I think when we work together on these on these campaigns, uh, and and stop looking at it as a, a, a power struggle for a party and more for the people, then I think we can achieve a lot more success. Absolutely. And there's a lot of things that, you know, the Green Party and the Libertarian Party can agree on. And when you and I talked before the um, this episode, you know, over the phone, there was a lot of things that you and I agreed on, like, you know, the, the drugs on, uh, um, war on drugs and um, absolutely these, these international or, you know, these foreign wars Regime that we're involved wars. in. Yeah. You know, one of the things that you and I talk about is like, what better way to help the troops than to bring them back home, you know? But yet the, the mainstream media portrays us as, oh, these guys are just anti-troops. They, you know, they say anti-war, we're anti-troops. And it's not the case. We're actually pro-troops because we want to get them back and we got to get them back to their families in a, in, in a safe area and stop going into these wars that have nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do other than a money grab. Yeah. Uh, when a black man isn't there to raise his family, it's usually because the system has set him up for failure and he's in jail. If the white man isn't there to save his family, it's usually because he's too poor, had to join the military, and is now serving overseas. Right. And we need to reverse that. We need to make sure that you know a family, if we're so have the, a family in such high regard in our nation, we have to make sure that our family units are able to be together. And one of those things is, to end these wars and bring our troops back home so they can be there. You know, I'm sick of all these videos of the excited dogs seeing the master come back or 
the, the parents surprising their kid in school, it's heartbreaking to see that they have to be away for that damn long. Exactly. And honestly, it, it is endearing to see them reunited. But honestly, I'd rather see those parents be there for their kids when they need them to be there instead of whenever the government decides that their deployment is done. Right. You know, the government now, this is both Democrats and Republicans. They are so good at trying to to act like they're pro-family, but they are the leading cause of breaking up families. Like you said, you know, lower income families, usually the dad is in prison in the military or going through um, a divorce and the family court is separating them or CPS is in there breaking up the family. The government is just excellent at breaking up families and, and this is what's causing a lot of damage a lot of poverty a lot of violence when there's not yeah. a, a, a two parents in the home to be able to help raise and you know these kids what ends up happening is the the child ends up being uh having mental health issues suffering from depression suffering from drug abuse and then you know which leads up to violence and the government's just this encouraging negative uh, environment. Well, and it's not just young families as well. Uh, I've, do, I've done taxes for the last five years for veterans and their families. And uh, one older couple came into me. They'd been married for 48 years and had to get a divorce two years prior because Social Security started taxing them higher, taking more mm-hmm. of their Social Security from them because they were married. So they divorced uh, but are living in the same house. And I said, well, does that bother you? And they They'd gotten over it by that time. They, right. But it, to, to see somebody who's that committed to each other that, you know, they're willing to do whatever they can to, to maintain their income status. It, it, I mean, the government has been basically rigged it against uh, anybody who's working class or poor. Yes. I mean, uh, my treasurer and I were talking about uh, taxes uh, the other day, and he, he said, you know, how much does uh, a CEO making $60 million get taxed? I said, well, I don't know, maybe, uh, you know, three to five percent at, at the most, uh, because they'll have ways to hide it under, you know, these are stock investments and this and that and the other. And he said, well, if I won the lottery for 60 million, how much would the payout be? I said, well, about 32 million. He said, well, why is that? I said, because they will tax you on it. <laughs> <laughs> I said, yes, because he said, well, that's just another an example of a poor tax. I said, absolutely it is a right. poor tax. I mean, there's no other way to explain it. If somebody can go to work and make sixty million, take home fifty-eight, that's not the same as somebody winning the lottery for sixty million and taking home thirty-two. Right. No, it's it's funny because uh, you know a lot of people in the Libertarian Party will be uh, it, disagree a lot with taxes and taxing the rich, but I think in, we're just disagree with taxes in general. But I think that's another way we can ally with other parties, for example, the Green Party or uh, the Conservative Party, the Reform Party, whichever party we can ally on. Because there's one thing that we do agree on is that the government overtaxes the poor. They have all these tax schemes to make sure that the, the poorer class and the middle class get pays for most of the burden for this for this country. And there are so many uh, hidden taxes. Uh, a perfect oh, example, yeah. you know, going to family ha- court, you know, oh, 
or having car insurance. Um, and that's a hidden tax. If you don't have uh, car insurance and you get pulled over, that's, you know, you get your license suspended. Uh, but how can you afford car insurance if you're making minimum wage and have all these other bills? It, I mean, I knew people that were buying insurance, uh, paying for the first month and then coasting for six months on a, a card that said that they had insurance. Exactly. And so that six months was up. And then, I mean, that's all they could afford was maybe $120 once every six months for car insurance. And they, uh, that's another poor tax and without a, a public infrastructure for transportation, especially in rural areas. That's, that's an additional poor tax. Exactly. And, and I mean, that's beautiful that we can agree on these things. And it's just, it's so heartbreaking that, you know, I talk to so many of my libertarian friends and, and other libertarians and they just, they have this, Oh, we can't, we can't, we can't work. Like it has to be this way. It has to be this way. It's just, we cannot work with others because they're going to just override us. And it doesn't, I don't, I just don't have that belief. I think that, you know, working together and pushing each other up. Um, I think the last election, Gary Johnson and Gil Stein, you know, did that beautifully in a way when they agreed on, Hey, you know, since they're not going to accept us into a, um, in a major televised debate with the Democrat and Republicans. Let's work together and let's do our own debate. And man, that debate went, when I watched that debate, it was beautiful. It was probably one of the best debates that I've ever seen. It wasn't this, you know, name calling. It wasn't this arguing. It was just, yeah, it, it was point. more about, it was more about the issues and their point of view than it was right. about trying to score ego points. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's what I can foresee someday how third parties will be able to get into that uh, bigger arena and maybe even knock out one of the other two major parties. I mean, it, it has happened before. The Republican Party was a third party at one point. It was a minor party. And yeah. if it weren't for, you know, from what I know from history, if it weren't for them working with the people and working with others, they would have never been able to get in and become a major party. No, no. I, in fact, uh, I, if I recall correctly, there was a number of times where uh, Republicans uh, worked with the Whigs to uh, get the Whig candidate to remove himself from the ballot in the uh, 1850s. Exactly. So just just so the Republican ha had a clearer chance. Uh, in fact, I think there was a, quite a few Democrat parties at that time were working with the, the Republicans as well. Yes, definitely. So... I just think that we can get to that point again. And, and I, I would like to see not just a two party system like we have now. You know, I think we see all these other countries and when you look at their ballots and when you look at their Congress or parliaments, you see three to eight different parties working together in those parliaments, in those Congresses. And they seem to work, you know, maybe not perfectly, but a lot better than, than our politics and our system. Yeah. Yeah. I think compromise is a lot easier with more than two parties. <laughs> well, you can hold each other accountable too, a yeah. lot easier. You know, yeah. when there's just two parties, you can't, you know, you don't really hold one another accountable for things. You just find the best way to, you know, keep each other in power. Yeah. And it just becomes a teeter totter where, you know, one, one part's in power while the other one is down and then the other one's up while the other one's down. So it's exactly, and it really doesn't, uh, represent a democracy and it doesn't really advance the, the cause of the american people right and it's funny how like I, I talk to a lot of like the average voter and it's just 
crazy to me how when I ask them about certain issues, you know, if I ask, and that's why I hate using labels on my podcast because, you know, if I go talk to somebody that is, that labels themselves or put themselves in the tribe of the right conservative, and I ask them about certain issues, I notice that they don't really care so much about certain things that their party uh, cares so much about. Like when I ask somebody about, for example, uh, abortion or gay marriage, they, the response usually is, uh, I don't really care if, like, you know, two gay people get married. I don't really care if, you know, somebody gets abortion. I just don't want to do it in my own life. Or, yeah. you know, I don't necessarily agree in my personal life. And so why enforce that on other people then? You know, why enforce this ban on gay marriage on, on other people? You know? Yeah, and I think, I think that's been the destruction of uh, the democratic process is these one-issue voters that, well, I'm pro-life, so I can't ever vote for a Democrat. Well, what about the pro-life Democrats? Right. Well, there's, there's plenty of pro-life Democrats out there, so you could vote for them. No, no, the Republican Party is the only party that has uh, babies' interests in mind. Well, what about the bombing of the babies overseas? Well, uh, abortion kills more. No, bombs kill more. Right, <laughs> Not exactly. You know, immigration is a big one, as a good one, actually, because uh, I did a kind of some studies on it, and immigration affects me quite a bit because I'm married to an uh, immigrant, and, you know, I, I've we've suffered quite a bit through the immigration system. And... You know, when I ask uh, somebody from the right and somebody from the left, there is a commonality there that both sides want people to come in legally. And the small differences are usually, well, the left just wants to make sure it's done fairly and safely. And the Republicans just wants to make sure that it's done uh, correctly, legally, you know, without um, people trying to cheat the system. Right. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, that's great. Let's work together on that then. Let's, you know, let's try to help people come in here legally, safely, um, and correctly. But to, in order to do that, we need to both get together and see, okay, let's look at our immigration system now and see that it's, it doesn't work. It doesn't allow for people to come in safely and doesn't allow for people to come in, um, you know, correctly, because at the end of the day, people are going to want to come in regardless to have a better life and to protect their families. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my uh, my brother married an English girl, and uh, when she got pregnant, uh, she realized that she couldn't afford to give birth in the United States, so she had to go back to the UK to to give birth. Right. And she she's only come back to visit since. Oh wow, yeah, that's, uh, so, that's heartbreaking. Their marriage was over essentially because uh, of the, the system that our government has set up. And, you know, absolutely everybody should be coming in legally, but we need to create a structure where it's possible for them to do so. And, you know, I don't know about you, but uh, as far as I can see, it's been since Reagan had that amnesty back in the 80s that they ever moved on any major immigration legislation. And that's been 30 years. And, 40 years. So we need to get back on top of this. And right. I mean, the problem is not fixed by sitting on the problem. The problem is fixed by getting to it. And I don't know what the compromise needs to be there between the Democrats and the Republicans, but they're obviously not getting the job done. So we need to start getting more independent voices in there to, to show them 
where they have similarities and try to get force them to work together. Right. And again, it goes back to like I, the only way I can see that is if there's third party there to hold the other two parties accountable. Absolutely. So the other thing I wanted to talk about, uh, again, things that kind of you and I agree with is the uh, war on drugs. Absolutely. Um, so as if you became president, what would you do to um, kind of make changes in that? Uh, I put out a press release a couple of weeks ago that uh, the first thing I would do within an hour of uh, taking the oath of office would be to sign an executive order directing the DEA to change marijuana from a Schedule 1 to a Schedule 3 drug, uh, effectively beginning the end of, of the war on drugs. Uh, one thing I would do definitely would start start pulling funding uh, from cr- criminal agencies that are enforcing uh, these Wasteful laws, you know, I, I don't know the exact number, but it's I know, I'm pretty sure it's trillions of dollars that we've wasted since Nixon initiated the war on drugs. And uh, believe it or not, drugs are winning. <laughs> I mean, uh, while uh, in states where marijuana has been legalized, uh, use among those under 18 has declined drastically. Uh, we saw in Portugal when they legalized all drugs uh, earlier this century, uh, th- and they were facing a- as bad or worse an addiction problem than the United States was with the, the heroin. Yeah. Uh, the the illicit drug use dropped precipitously. I think they they're saying it's now only somewhere around eighteen percent of the population are, are regularly do- doing drugs. Right. Uh, because they saw it as a public health hazard, which it truly is. It's not. It's not an issue of legality or illegality. It's an issue of, of public health, and are people getting the mental health treatment they need, or are they able to support themselves in some capacity? Because, to me, when I see somebody doing drugs, initially, my thought is, what got them into the position that they want to do those drugs? Right. You know, it could be depression that they're suffering because they're not able to afford their their health insurance. It may be that they're suffering from issues psychologically that I don't understand that, uh, you know, maybe marijuana or cannabis could soothe or, you know, they're, they're, it's a coping mechanism, you know, drug addiction. And some people get addicted because the doctors prescribed it to them and told them it was absolutely safe. Right. But uh, once again, that, that's a, that's a public health issue. It's not, it's not a legality issue. It's not an issue that we need to, bother the police with because the police got enough stuff they are a lot of them are, are acting as psychiatrists psychologists uh, drug intervention specialists uh, as well as uh, being a police officer and they're not first off they're not trained to do due to that wear that many hats and secondly they're not paid well enough to be able to handle all that right nor are they you know nor can't nor do i think they should be doing that stuff and it, so, puts, I mean, it ending, puts police in, in danger as well, uh, being in this, you know, drug war of uh, trying to find people, uh, put them in prison for for drug use, and then getting themselves in between the the cartels and the drug user. Absolutely, yeah. And if we didn't have this drug war, we wouldn't have as many migrants coming from Latin America and South America up to the United States, escaping the violence that the drug cartels have created to 
maintain their power and their growing in production operations because we have a war on drugs. Right, exactly. So that's one major issue that I, you know, that I think we could put maybe on your top three, right, Uh, issues. What other two top issues would you handle as president? Uh, Well, the Medicare for all, I, I definitely believe that we need to be turning our tax dollars to supporting the taxpayers. Uh, so one of the Green Party platforms is reducing military spending by half, and I think we can fairly easily do that. Uh, I'm This T-shirt I'm wearing, uh, uh, Liberty, Justice, and Healthcare for All. I'm a member of the Single Payer Action Network here in Ohio. We've been working with the Ohio State Legislature to try to institute a Medicare for All program in the state of Ohio. Uh, our research has shown us with uh, virtually no tax increases, uh, essentially spending the money that the government has already appropriated for medical care, eliminating the uh, employer-sponsored medical care and instituting a small tax on that instead of paying, you know, co-pays and, you know, your monthly premiums, you're just paying maybe 2% of your personal pay. Our, our research and our study has shown that, you know, maybe paying 2% of your personal uh, income towards your health care would be a lot cheaper than paying your, you know, two $300 a month premium plus uh, your co-pays and your doctor visit pays and then your prescription co-pays. Uh, effectively uh, creating a single payer system, a universal health care system where we have one organization helping to regulate the prices, not dictating what the prices are, but helping to regulate the prices, that would lower the overall costs. Plus, we eliminate those middlemen of the health insurance. Uh, I mean, the health insurance industry only employs 120,000 people. More people have been laid off from factory jobs in the last five years than the insurance company would lose. Right. Uh, and we could easily integrate those people with that, those specialties into the universal healthcare system. Maybe we do something similar to the United Kingdom where private organizations provide the healthcare, but the government says, well, these are the prices that you can charge for it, and here's the money to help you accomplish the goals of, of providing the healthcare to the people. I don't really have objections wholly about eliminating health insurance industries, but uh, I don't know why anybody would want to cling to uh, a business that is charging them more and more and providing less and less services. Uh, right. It just doesn't make sense to me in a capitalist system. So Medicare for all is definitely a high priority issue for me. And when I say Medicare for all, I don't just mean health care. I mean dental care, vision care, hearing uh, mental health care, all of it, uh, right. because our our body is one organism. We can't delineate that. Uh, you know, our dental care should be separate from our regular health care because, as you see nowadays, most doctors won't perform a bypass or any other heart kind of operation unless the patient has good teeth. If wow. they have cavities, they'll they'll make them get pull pull their teeth and then wait a couple months until those cavities are healed before they perform any heart operations because of possible, this has been medically and scientifically proven, there's a possible increase in infection chances right. if you have some sort of oral health problem. Right. So, so we have to take a holistic position on that. Right. So on healthcare, I think, you know, I wouldn't 
a hundred percent agree with you, but I think there's one major thing in there that I do agree completely is the whole, um, you know, insurance companies, the insurance industry, you know, I don't know about eliminating them completely, but I do think that, you know, it's, it's just, it makes no sense to me, like you said, to pay this middleman to, who ends up paying their employees. So that's why they're charging you more to handle all this paperwork and hand and make these decisions of what kind of healthcare you can get or what kind of, uh, treatments you can get, you know? And when I think of it as like, why can't I just go to a doctor and, you know, just pay him directly? Wouldn't it save us so much more money to, you know, just pay one single person that has, you know, three employees versus this big organization that has, hundred thousands employees uh yeah you wouldn't be paying as much and uh i don't know about you but in these rural areas we're seeing a lot of hospitals closing so it may take a two or three hour drive for some people to get to some health care uh, and in an emergency that's nearly impossible uh, i know there's a, a few counties in, in kentucky south of me that uh, there's no hospital within a three-hour drive. So what happens if somebody is in a really emergency situation and one of these hollers and can't get out? I mean, by making healthcare a, a human right and and a a government-sponsored issue, then we can ensure that more people are covered effectively. But isn't insurance the insurance industry a government-sponsored program? Some, I mean, they in some. Uh, in some ways, we do subsidize health, health insurance. Uh, I'm, uh, from a historical perspective, when uh, Medicare came on board uh, and Medicaid, they initially told the doctors that you can tell us what you charge for the, these procedures and we will pay you what you say that you charge. And that gave a lot of doctors an opportunity to inflate the cost of their services. Right. And that that's the position that we're in now is where the government is saying, well, you can't be charging this much for this this procedure because this doctor over here only charges a third of that. So by, I I know this is a libertarian dirty word, regulation, uh, (laughs) by putting those regulations on those businesses and, I mean, life shouldn't be a a, a for-profit motive. Uh, But it wouldn't be one regulation that you could eliminate to help that, you know, I, I get that there, you know, as a libertarian, I consider myself more of a classical liberal uh, in that spectrum, in that libertarian spectrum, you know, and I understand that there has to be some regulations. Uh, but wouldn't a regulation to eliminate is forcing people to have insurance, like instead of just maybe going to your doctor and paying for it? Because right now that is a regulation, a government yeah. regulation is to, you must have, you must have insurance, you must pay for insurance. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I laugh at that the thought that Obama's a socialist when he, he forces people to buy health insurance. Uh, I mean, that's that's not something the socialists would do. But certainly that is one part of Obamacare that I would look to overturn is that, that I personally, I, have, I haven't had health insurance for the last 20 years, I don't think. No, I haven't had health insurance for almost 20 years now. Uh, I, I can't afford it, uh, especially when they don't tell me how much it's going to cost. Right. So I'm very thankful that, you know, I have enough medical experience and was trained as a field medic in the army that if something happens to me, I can take care of it. Uh, but I'm fortunate in that, but that nothing major has happened to me. Right. I, you know, I don't have cancer that I know of. 
but <laughs> I, I couldn't possibly go screening for it because I don't have health insurance. Right. Uh, but I, I'm more fortunate than other people that I, I have better health and I do take care of myself and try to he- eat healthy and maintain a, a regular exercise. Right. So, I mean, for me, I, I may be an exception uh, that I, because I haven't really used health services, I don't need it. So any money that I would be contributing to the healthcare industry, healthcare of others wouldn't be spent by me, it'd be spent by others. Right. And, and, and that's essentially what insurance is supposed to be, is pooling those people who can afford it and, and not need it and assistance to the people who need it but can't barely afford it. Right. I mean, it's, we're just essentially creating a massive pool uh, uh, for our healthcare you know, by eliminating a lot of this wasteful spending on endless wars. We could be spending it on making our people healthier and more productive. Okay. So we're running out of time. Is there what kind of? Uh, I'll let you give a, a plug in. And um... well, my my website is www.dlpotus2020.com. Dlpotus2020.com. Uh, I just got FEC recognition a couple of weeks ago, so we are officially a legally recognized campaign for president. Uh, I'm working on a little bit of fundraising so I can actually go out and talk to uh, some of these uh, communities that I really want to reach out to. Uh, so any donations, if anybody can give anything, I'd appreciate it. I'm, I'm asking for a $2, $20, or $200 donations based on what you can afford. You know, $2 is one drink for at a restaurant or at a gas station. $20 is possibly a meal out with a, a friend, and $200 is one bill. So if anybody can sacrifice one of those uh, for my campaign, I would greatly appreciate it. I'll probably send you some stickers. Uh, <laughs> there and, you go. And uh, believe me, uh, like I said, I spent 78 cents of a vote on the last campaign, so it will be well spent. It will be well, well invested. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being on my podcast. This is a you know a great privilege, uh, and you know I wish you the best. Uh, I hope that. Uh, coming in the future, you know, the third parties, we can just kind of gang up on the other two major parties and work together to, you know, take away some power away from them. And absolutely, uh, it's just so refreshing to hear that there are uh, people other than you know libertarians that are willing to kind of talk things out and you know look in into other perspectives and work together. So I uh, I greatly appreciate that and uh. I appreciate you being on the podcast. Uh, no problem, James. I really appreciate you for uh, taking an interest in, in my campaign. And I, I hope your listeners will, will check out my website. Hey, I'm open to suggestions. You know, I, I'm a very flexible person. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I love having input and feedback, even if it's negative. If it's negative, then that, that gives me an opportunity to investigate myself even deeper. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks so much, Dennis. Uh, and, you know, thanks for everything. Absolutely. No problem.